to another episode of Licks to Dibs. Leads to Dibs. Hey guys, Scott Morse here with the Leads to Deal podcast. I am super excited about today's guest. We have two of the most talented, industry-disrupting wholesalers and real estate investors, both in single family and commercial real estate here in our office in Columbia, South America. I wanna give a huge, big, warm welcome to two guys I now consider dear friends, Alex and Anthony Casada. Welcome to the Leads to Deal podcast, fellas. Thanks, so, Scott. Awesome, awesome. So guys, one of the things I thought about when I wanted to bring in my initial guest is who can provide the most value? I think a lot of times providing value is letting people understand not only where you're at today, which we're gonna to get to, but really how it started, right? And it's not just how it started in the real estate world, but Leads to Deals podcast, we're focused on everybody in sales. Leads to Deals. So I want to hear a little bit about your sales journey, some of the mentors you've had, where it started at, how it all went. So for you, Alex, I know you're the older brother. These guys are brothers. But so since you're the other older brother, what was your initial like foray step into the sales world and how you've kind of paced throughout? Well, since I was little, I like sold candy and sold Playboys to other kids. <laughs> uh, so uh, had some uh, experience in sales uh, my whole life. I was like, was a hustler kind of guy. So um, I really went from obviously that, uh, did I did a little bit of phone, uh, telephone sales, like getting like uh, surveys done for like fire department stuff. That was like my first job. Then I did uh, fine dining. And then I worked under you, my, my good man. You teaching me the sales skills at our travel club. And that was really where I actually learned sales, bread sales books that you provided to me um, and really fine tune like my education on the sales industry and like really learning how to how to sell. Out of curiosity, before that time that you had started the travel club with me, and so I've known Alex for probably over, yeah, over a decade now, and it wasn't this type of relationship. Like, uh, you know, I had a, a travel club sales floor, and I was looking for super talented guys. His name came across from like a mutual friend, and ultimately he came in, and it was you did an amazing job as a closer as well too. But what was your thoughts on the sales profession? Like before you ever got into sales, like what were you thinking if somebody said like, oh, I'm a car salesman or I sell real estate, what did you think of sales in general? Um, I don't know if I had any kind of like connotation towards it at all. I, I felt like maybe that was perception wise that they make a lot of money. Yes, okay, cool. And then so I know that's kind of led to where you're ultimately going to your real estate journey, but for yourself, Anthony, what was your first exposure to sales? Uh, Definitely everything was made mostly through experience. So with Alex, you know, we worked with somebody, another individual who did wholesaling and I did all like the back end stuff. So it was like TC, admin, selling out contracts, a lot of grunt work. Uh, it wasn't until me and Alex decided to make our own thing that it was mainly following him to appointments. So like I would uh, negotiate a price with the seller. Alex would actually go visit the house himself and I would tag along. So I had never really had, you know, I didn't read the books. I was lazy on reading books. I didn't listen to podcasts. It was literally just watching Alex pitch in front of people live, uh, going through the house, taking pictures. So everything I was taught was by experience. So that's great. So your first real sales experience was the real estate wholesaling industry. Yeah. 
That's awesome. So you've obviously had that at least focus and growth. One of the things I think, and I'm a little bit older than both of you guys, and I'm curious your feeling on this, but as a kid, when I was growing up, it's like people who didn't get a college degree, you were either gonna use your hands or you had to use your mouth. And I had done roofing for a number of months with my dad, he owned a roofing company, and there was just multiple times where he would take me out to the job site and you had to have this really big magnet and you would have to walk through the grass and you'd have to walk upstairs and you'd have to go pick up all the different nails that are around and all this manual labor. And I just knew that, hey, listen, if for whatever reason college, this is as a kid, for whatever reason college doesn't work out or I can't find an exact profession, it's gonna have to be some way of using my words as a weapon because I don't wanna use my hands. I don't wanna be out here on hot, hot roofs every single day for the rest of my life. And so I see that, you know, I meet guys like you, you have not what I consider to be a natural, innate ability to sell. Same thing with you. As soon as I met you, boom, natural innate ability to sell. Would you think that after all these years, you could take what you've learned now and maybe even teach that to somebody who may not have it? Or do you think somebody, if you're going to come in, they already have to have that kind of natural innate sales or is it something that's teachable? I think you 100% teach it. You just have to have the, the hunger and the want uh, of doing it. And obviously some common sense. For me, I feel like a lot of it is like have problem-solving skills. If you can have problem-solving skills, then you can be taught. Yeah, I'm a strong believer in that. Like, I've hired and fired a lot of people in our office, and usually I'll look at Alex and I'll be like, they don't have it. Like, it's yes. an it factor. You know, I think you can teach it. I think people who are in timeshare, car sales, some of them don't even have the it factor. Like, they're just not good salesmen. Like, they don't have the drive. I think some of the people, if you've trained 18-year-olds who are crushing deals, uh, but they have the want. They have the need. They want to learn. They're absorbing, like, they yeah. to drive. What you just said about the Ed Factor to me means a lot too. There's a book behind me, it's Zig Ziglar. He's one of my favorite authors. And so I used to have a, a phrase that always stuck in my head is you're, you are the equivalent of your five closest associates. And as in high school and in my early college type years, I just realized the five people that I was around weren't the five people I wanted to be associated with. But what do you do when you live in the hood or you live in the middle of nowhere and you don't have five people? I found those people in books. And so I made sure my mentors were those guys in books. And then one of the things that Ziggler said, he said, um, you know, there's never been a master salesman who was born. On the day that he was born, the baby slapped him, uh, the doctor slapped the baby on the button and said, you're gonna be an elite salesman. It is something that's taught. But I think that it factor isn't your natural ability for sales. I think your it factor is your desire, your determination, your hustle. Because you give us, we have now co-shared teams, but you give us somebody who's got a hunger and a passion, then you add the skills on top of it, and that's a rock star agent. So I think you're right, that is the it factor. Good agree more. Yep. Yep. So where we're at today with these two guys, I mean, let's just talk about it for a second. We're in Columbia, South America, here in our podcast studio. Collectively in this office here, we have close to 200 persons right now at this time. You guys in your Orlando, the elite sales office there, in your Orlando office, how many bodies are there right now supporting your major infrastructure? Including me and Alex, there's probably 15, 16 of us. 16 with us. Yeah. Wow. So how has it been? Uh, what, what year did you start initially? I started uh, December will be 11 years. 11 years. Wow. And so when you started out, it was just you or you were working for somebody else? What's kind of your initiation? Just story? me initially. Uh, bought a bunch of seminars, learning how to do real estate, buying houses with no money down. Um, did a couple deals on my own, felt like I was missing something. And then uh, worked for somebody else and learned exactly what I needed, which is estimating repairs correctly within a couple of weeks. 
but uh, stuck with him because I'm very loyal and stuck with him for three years. Brought my brother in like the last year as the admin guy. And um, then after that, you know, we were like, let's do our own thing. When did he first mention wholesaling or real estate investing to you? Probably when I was 18, 19 years old. Okay, and how old are you now? Uh, 28. Okay, cool. So a decade ago, he brings it to you. What was your like initial thoughts on this industry? Uh, I mean, I think most people, it's like a scam. Like, I don't yeah. understand how you make the money. Like, the biggest hurdle was like everything's traditional real estate. Like, where's the agent involved? Like, what do you mean you're selling it to a buyer? Like, I, I didn't understand it. Like, it just felt like a fugazi. How long did it take for your parents to be like, oh, I get what, or do they still not like wrap their head around it? They get no. it now. They get it now. It took, a, it took them a while to realize what it, the money we were making and like where we're at now when I showed them finally like a net worth principal, uh, you know, balance sheet. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And so you went to college? Yes. Finance degree. Finance degree and yourself went to college? Two years and jump with this guy. I told him, stop. Stop. Stop going into debt. Come over here and create some assets and generational wealth. I love it. All right, cool. So you graduated with a finance degree. Do you feel like you use that in today's business structure you have? Yeah, I think the finance degree definitely helped me have a business sense. And uh, so it definitely helped uh, 100%. But I feel like for this business, obviously, you don't need a college degree. Yeah, I agree. You don't need a college degree. I think it's beautiful when you can have people working for you that have monster college degrees though. And so some people, it's, it takes an entrepreneurial spirit to be able to go through the ups and downs of this industry for sure. And I see a lot of people in my perspective working with so many affiliates nationwide that there's a difference between a hobbyist and an entrepreneur. And so I want to focus on that here in a second. And so for me, the hobbyists that I see, they are in it to pay some bills, but they're not in it for a long-term reciprocal foundation that they're building that's gonna pay them. So for you guys, when you see these hobbyists in this industry, do you think hobbyists ultimately turn to entrepreneurs or do you think they're just stuck in this kind of lower wavelength of staying hobbyists? Like, what are your opinion on the hobbyists versus entrepreneurs? So I think it, it could be, you're just not surrounded with the right people, like mm. the five people you're surrounded with. Uh, in getting into those other rooms because for me and him when we first started i took him away we were doing three to five deals a month and he was much younger but i was young relatively yeah and you know we were making money 30 50 grand a month going hanging out partying going to raves festivals this thing traveling a lot and then you know we did that for like three years and i'm like you know and, and the people around me in orlando the other wholesalers were like Oh, there's no deals. It's so hard to find deals. So competitive. And that was like implanted in my brain because these people have been doing it longer than I have. Yeah. I knew the market, knew that things. But then when I went to like other events, scale events, and people were doing 20, 30 deals a month younger than me in, hard, in more tougher markets in Miami, I was like, no, fuck. Like, what are you doing? 21 year old kids driving Lamborghinis. I was like, yeah, how, I do I, how do I get that? Yeah. And then they, they were like, hey, how? You know, what are you doing for marketing? Like, what are you spending? And I'm like, oh, I'm spending like three to five grand. And I try spending 30. I'm like, all right, that's easy. Boom. He was good at with uh, business credit. We got a business credit card, uh, go, uh, Amex, Platinum Amex, put 30K on it. Next month, next 45 days, we made 111 grand. And then just Ooh. kept rolling from there. I love it. That's one of the stories that I hear from the top elite guys. They almost had like a mind shift. They went to a consultation, they went to a seminar, which I know you're big at now participating in, but also going to all these different seminars. And sometimes it's just that one nugget you walk away with. It's that one extra thing. You invited me to one by a gentleman named Kent Clothier. 
And there's been many impactful sentences that I've heard in my career, but I don't think there's been any of them that I've ever gotten from an outside person like I met face to face, except when he said, price is only an issue in the absence of value. And for a sales guy, what that does is that takes away every excuse you could ever have about why that customer said no to my offer. Hmm. It's because I haven't created value enough to equate the price that I need. And so that's one of the big things. I know you guys have it on your wall. We use that as a mantra here, but price is only an issue in the absence of value. So I love that you invested in yourself. You said something a second ago. You said he was good with business credit. Do you mean he just had the credit to be able to get the business credit or he knew how to get it? He learned. Yeah, actually, when I got interested by this kid, he was credit on Instagram, and I bought his course and everything, because for me, like, we were spending money, but I was like, how do I travel for free? How do I do this for free? How do I get into the hotels? And it was just one of those things that caught my attention, learned it, and I was like, if you're gonna be spending this money, let's do it directly. Great. So, so where you guys are at today, let's kind of fast forward a little bit. Where you guys are at today, which is one of the largest that I'm aware of, wholesaling operations and investment operations in the United States, for sure. And knowing myself, how many affiliates we have through the Lamasu model, there's only a couple of major players that are out there. And I'd say that you guys are one of the only major players who are still in touch with their business. And so when I talk to some of these CEOs, it's always like, ask this guy, ask this guy, ask this guy, which I get, there's great to have a, a foundation underneath of you, but I know that there's a disconnect in their KPIs. And it's like, you're the breadwinner. You're the guy who built this. You want to still be dialed in. So for you guys with where you're at today, what are you seeing as maybe some of those those disconnects? Are you having, are you, are you still that tight-knit of a group? Or do you feel more disconnected because now you're managing 17 people and now you're looking at commercial properties. How are you handling still being the tip of the spear knowing your company is as wide as it is? I think we definitely have a strong grip on things. I think one of our biggest struggles is letting things go. Uh, so whenever we try to adapt, we're always making sure we put the right pieces in place. Uh, I still like to be very involved in the wholesale business, but also keep it in mind that, you know, we're trying to buy commercial properties as well. So then it's things where we'll look for a team lead, like who's the best acquisition agent to move into commercial uh, aspects and roles. So for me, like I still like to be very hands-on no matter what department it is. But, you know, as we grow, we're going to come across obstacles on a daily basis. But for us, you got to adapt and find the right people. Yeah. So he, he is more, he is runs pretty much the whole, whole oper, wholesale operation heads, you know, the TC's report to him, dispo and acquisition. So he pretty much runs everything. So he's definitely hands-on on that a lot. I think I say connected because like I maybe do working on self storage, but I work on the floor with everybody else. So I hear, I hear what they're saying. I, I know what they're doing. I see the issues and I'll tell him like, although I may want to be in the middle of something, I may want to say something to this acquisition. I just tell him like, yo, like she needs to clean this up or she needs to say this better and whatnot. So he can take care of that. So I think that's how I stay connected. And then obviously, you know, we're all trying to grow together. So we're bringing some guys for that, like he said, from the acquisitions to do self storage stuff and obviously trying to get him involved as well on that aspect as well. And not only that, like we're all in office. So yeah. like a lot of people that we meet, it's like VAs or virtual teams. Like I got a guy in Cali in North Carolina and all this markets, but I know where all my employees at are hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So me and you or us three, we all agree on this, that quality of deliverables is where it's at. And so not saying that there's not a guy who's ever done it, but the reason why I have 
200 and some or roughly 200 agents here under one roof is because I need that consistency and deliverables. I need to be able to have managers walk around and hear what people are saying. I need them to be in the mix. I need them standing behind the computers. Nobody's playing on Instagram, doing these types of things. And that's what strikes me a lot about you guys is because I find people who want to shortcut the shortcut. Wholesaling is the shortcut. You're already shortcutting the real estate investment space and now you want to shortcut the shortcut? You're like, oh, I'll just outsource this and I'll just outsource this and I'll virtual bookkeep this and I'll do this. And it's like, but I just can't figure out where we're struggling at two to three deals a month. You're struggling because you don't have, people don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. And so when I was at their office, I guess last month, you guys are nice enough to invite me in there. I'm walking through your office and I was very surprised. There was a big office in the corner it was completely decked out. I was like, whose office is this? And you said, it's mine. And he was like, I never sit in it. And literally the entire time I was there, if you were there, you were on the floor in one of the cubicles. And then you guys were showing me your KPI reports. So it's like, you guys are also in tune because of the culture that you've built, but also the technology that you leverage. Your CRM is sending you morning reports. Your call platform you guys use is sending you daily reports. And so you have all this information at your fingertips that a lot of people don't even know can exist, I think, a lot of other wholesalers, and gives you a strategic advantage over them. So like, do you see that too when you're mentoring some of these younger kids, they just don't have their KPIs, or what do you see that they miss a lot? Some of it's training. Uh, you know, a lot of the VAs, like sometimes the person who owns the company can't close a deal. So they're trying to outsource, whether it's like, hey, read the script, but they can't even teach you on the script. Some of it's just management issues. Like people just don't know how to control the team. Uh, I mean, some people just have lack of responsibility. They can't keep people accountable. Yeah, I'm sure. It's sales and, sales and marketing. So yeah. sales, they don't know how the sales skills themselves to, to run a team, to train. And then, um, they definitely don't know their numbers. Yeah. Like I, I have some one-on-one -on -one clients and stuff like that. They Most of the time I ask them their, their numbers, their KPIs, and they don't have it. And even us, we didn't really have it until we got into rooms and masterminds when they're like, this is what you need to track. This is how you know how to grow. And you just need someone to teach you that stuff. And even like the finance you know, degree I had didn't really teach you KPIs. Right. You know? So uh, most people don't know their KPIs. They don't know the numbers are working, they say, hey, my bank account is getting bigger and it's growing and they think everything's good. So one of the things that I know that you guys have leveraged extensively and built on, but is that Synergy CRM. And so when I talk to other people who aren't on Synergy CRM, particularly like Podio users, so Podio is a type of CRM a lot of wholesalers use in this industry, but they can't, I can't tell you how many people that we provide leads to who literally at the end of the month, they'll be like, so um, could you send us a report of how many leads you sent us for the month? I'm like. Wait a minute, so you don't know that we sent you 48 leads? Because if you don't know I sent you 48 leads, you don't know how many you got on the phone. And if you don't know how many you got on the phone, you don't know how many you got in a consultation and sent out a contract to, and you don't know this and you don't know that. So I was looking at your guys' report early, earlier, and I'm not gonna say the number because it's so monstrous that YouTube might ban you guys, but there were 78 deals, including your JVs, so far this month that were on in your CRM. And you could see how many conversations Terry had, like we joined this other guy's program before for his podio because before we, our first year when I, after we went to that event, we started doing like big numbers. Me and him did 88 deals in a, in a year and it was pretty much from May to the end of the year. We had like seven, 10 deals before that. So that was all pen and paper. Wow. Then when we went to that other event, he had like a big uh, CRM, like Macdow podio. And I was like, 
we literally bought the mentorship coaching thing they had for that podium. And then it was like, this is so complicated. We, were like, we started like going, back. le- but going backwards, getting yes. less deals per month. I'm like, this is fucking nightmare. And then we got, you know, the Synergy CRM and game changer, you know? So like, it's just so easy and it makes it, a, it just gives, it does everything for us. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's user-friendly. So I think yeah. the one of the biggest advantages is that it's dummied down enough to like, the sales guys need to focus on sales. So the last thing I want to do is make sure like they had to go through this bucket to open up another bucket to find their task. And I almost feel like they just don't even want to work at that point. They're like, I don't even know where the hell this file went. Like the Synergy CRM is just, it's a one click and you're done. While everybody says the market's crashing, the hedge funds are going away. Oh no, we can't get self-storage, we can't. So you guys are at the tip of the spear, right? But from you as a leadership, what does your day-to-day look like? You're the director of sales. Somebody on watching this wants to have a guy just like you. What happens when you walk in and how's your day looking? Yeah, so we make sure we have a strong culture in our office. So we go in, everyone gets in, starts to work at 9 a.m. So the first thing we do every single day, no matter what happens, we do a morning meeting. So whether it's going over KPI reports, maybe it's some motivation, uh, given, you know, just the second quarter just ended, uh, whether it's, you know, something we can use to build urgency in the pitch, like it's constant training, uh, because training is the most important part. Uh, you know, we have a saying, people always say ABC always be closing, you know, in our office, it's ABL always be learning, uh, because there's always something new you can learn. There's always a technique. We go to boardroom, you hear, you know, price is only an issue in the absence of value. That's something you want to bring to the closers. Like they're not hearing that. Let's bring it, you know? So even had, uh, opportunities where we have like our employees go out and read a book and then you had to present in the office. Nice. So we try to make sure we adapt, but yeah, morning meetings are at 9 AM. Uh, after that, you know, we start the day banging on the phones and then we go from there and it's a constant, you know, walking the floor, TO and deals, making sure Dispo's doing their jobs, how many people they're sending to properties and, you know, trying to keep everybody accountable. That's a lot. And it's actually more than a director of sales. What you're saying is that, hey, listen, I'm the guy who's launching the office in the morning. I'm the guy who's monitoring the sales. And then I'm also have my hands in TC and Dispo's. Do you think that that's a necessary thing to do? Like, hey, a DOS has to be this plugged in, or do you think that's still like a growth potential for you guys where TCs and dispos are kind of completely handed out? And then if that is the case, would that allow you to grow sales more? Uh, That is a tricky question. I think the hardest part about dispos, a lot of people feel like, you know, they use certain platforms they can just send a text or send an email and a deal sell. Uh, You know, I posted a video not too long ago about the dispo, like it's still a sales game. Like you still have to create urgency with your buyers. You still gotta make sure the EMDs are on time. Like you still gotta pitch them, uh, even if it's your only buyer that you have 10 other people. Uh, You know, TCs is definitely one of those tracks that I can lead them through their own vices and they come to me when there's like problem clients and maybe they need a stronger voice to be on the phone to appeal to their clients, whether, you know, they're trying to back out of contracts or some other company gave them higher money uh, or there's maybe lean issues that they just need help figuring out. Uh, But Dispo, I think it does go hand in hand with acquisitions because you know, they're doing incoming producing activities and then it's a sales team still. Yeah, since I've been in your office, I can say firsthand, one of the things that I like the most about what you're doing is, I don't even think you have a chair at your desk, you obviously have a stand-up desk, but it's constant movement on the floor. Constant wireless headset chiming in, trying to take over calls, coaching people on their calls. Being that type of energy, people feed off of it, right? And so, I know you said, you mentioned a little while ago, your uh, transaction coordinator sent you a message and she said what, because you weren't there? Uh, that the mood in the office has went down. Right, so he's a he's a coach, he's a mentor. He's the guy that has to keep everybody up and lifted. And so while he's here, obviously planting seeds to water for continued growth, even though you guys got how many deals yesterday? 
Uh, five deals yesterday. Five deals yesterday, even when he wasn't there. Even after five deals, the room can feel his absence. And so to me, like, that's the most beautiful thing. You got a guy who's not actually closing the deals, but you're causing the deals to be closed. You're constantly observing, you're walking around, they're feeding off of your energy. And I think that's why you guys are disrupting this vertical. Did you ever think, I mean, did you ever set a ceiling to your number? Like when you hear that, because I think sometimes you guys, because I know you don't, you're in a bucket, even though you guys are out there playing with other players. But I think sometimes you guys don't maybe even appreciate how much of a wave you're having, how few influencers and coaches that are out there are actually doing anywhere close to these numbers. But when you hear 78 deals so far this month, how's that number sound to you when you hear that? Like my team created 78 deals. Uh, sounds like we could do more like it just bodies like the more bodies we have we just hire a couple more people and they're getting deals but like the more buys we have we can do more like so it's just like did you ever think you'd money. be doing 70 if I had this podcast with you in 2014 and I was like hey man I got this secret path you can follow 78 deals I, I think it was I think it was possible we never put like ceilings or limitations on like Great. what was possible because seeing these other people and to be quite honest, like I see saw those other people on stage, I'm like, I'm fucking smarter than that guy. Like I can do this. Yep. I can, I just didn't know it was possible. And then I went in that room, saw it was possible, and I'm like, oh, we can do this. And then continue like working with you and, and Lamasu and other things. Like we know like the, what the ceiling is, and obviously the team you built here. So like seeing coming here and seeing how it changed from like a year ago or whatnot, and like there's always growth potential. So like it's. Surrounding yourself around the right people, like being surrounded with you, seeing what you have grown shows us like we can continue to grow ourselves. And kind of like, you know, having him, like you say, like um, being the, you know, the head person for each thing. Like I see how you're structured with like team leads in each department and stuff like that. So like I could see that being the growth and where we go to, yeah. but we would just need more bodies. Like we, we don't have two TCs. We only have like two disco guys. So it's not needed right now. And that's why he can handle everything. But I think there's unlimited growth potential. Now, do we want to grow it to a thousand deals a month or something crazy like that? You know, remains to be seen. But like, I think if we get a hundred deals a month, keep going like that and then scale these other verticals like self storage and buying commercial properties. That's I think where really wealth is created. And that's the direction I want to kind of go towards more. And he had a quote in our office last week where it was uh, talking about being average. Uh, and every day is your new average. So getting 78 deals, that's the new average. So that's a new expectation. Like 78 is possible, 79 is easy. You know, so it's always continue to grow as we keep breaking records. And I even know your office breaks records as well. Yeah. So. Well, I remember, and I've literally said this probably since the very first day I walked in your first office. And so full disclosure, I haven't been in the real estate space for about two and a half years. And Alex is the one who gave me the idea. And he was like, hey, man, listen, if you'll just take this product, which he'd been kind of mentioning to me over the years, because we still had our friendship from when we had worked together in a previous industry. It's like, you'll just take this product and insert it into your call center infrastructure, dude. Like, you'll murder. We'll murder everybody. Everybody who is affiliated with you will do great. And I just remember after I saw this campaign, I said, this is a 10 deal a day track. And so the time where I will never take my foot off the gas pedal, but I'm going to reflect and be very, very pleased is when you guys collectively, right? We're at 10 deals a day because that is highly achievable in this. There's 22 work days. That's 220 deals a month. That's like, that's making a lot of impact. And it's not only two, and this is why I try to share with my kids. It's not only you're making money. 
You're talking about probably 35 closers that are making good money. Then you're talking about all the people who are contractors for you guys who are feeding their kids, the roofer, the lawn care guy, the siding guy, the flooring guy, your leads provider, us. So as you scale, that means you need more leads, which means I can offer more jobs. And now I'm offering more jobs and these kids are making a bigger impact. So it really is this crazy butterfly effect from 12 deals to 78 deals. Because think about it, you said in your first seven months or so, you did 88 deals that year. You're about to do that in a month. Guarantee you, you'll be well in excess of that before the end of this year, particularly with your current scale trajectory. So I just love that about you guys. And one last thing that I want to piggyback off of is you said, hey, it's just adding bodies. So he's right, but it's adding bodies when there's a solid foundation. You can't scale inconsistent results. And more importantly, you can't scale inconsistent marketing because you ain't gonna hire a bunch of closers unless you got a bunch of leads. And you can't keep closers unless you have a consistent lead flow. And so when I see these people who are like, hey, I'm gonna do this and do this, it's like, hey, do you have a foundation built first? Do you have an onboarding process? Do you have the ability to listen to your closer's calls? For God's sakes, how many of you don't even listen to your closer's calls? Or you have the ability and you don't even do it. And so that's why I'm proud of you guys and I believe in your infinite scalability because you have a foundation that you can build a mansion on. So I applaud you for that. Alex, a couple little things about what you're doing in the commercial space. Give everybody a kind of a heads up as to what you're doing in the commercial space and kind of how long you've been it. So since like 2017, um been starting like to start acquiring properties ourselves like buy and hold properties mostly residential in the beginning and so but now we are working together with a caller uh, that we trained up on, on your team to cold call leads for us and we got some traction there got some leads today so uh, just building that pipeline and hopefully you know our goal was to get 10 this year we're a lot slow on that right now, but with these two going in the trajectory of like the calls, the, the leads coming in, hopefully we get to that number or close to it, as long as we get to at least five and match what we did last year, we good. Yeah, I was pulling the numbers, so we just started. Uh, I do anything for these guys. They're one of my high valued affiliates. And that, there's a, I, I just say you guys are eagles amongst eagles, right? Like I have nothing but eagles in my network that I, we dial for, but you guys are always thinking and doing the next, but I know we generated 46 self-storage leads last month. Um, I know that you're working on a couple of underwriting deals for those, so I'm excited about that. It just shows that it works. Like cold calling isn't debt. We're doing 2 million outbound dials a week right now. Um, and so it just sh shows that it just takes the momentum, the action to get out there and do it. But you mentioned seller financing a lot. So briefly, it's a two-part question. Can you explain just for anybody who's not 100% sure what seller financing is? And then second, are you leveraging seller financing when you're doing these self-storage deals because you need to offer a better price or are you doing it because of capital constraints? So what is it and why? Uh, so first, seller financing is essentially like the owner will take back uh, a portion of their equity in payments. So like the first one we bought, uh, was 850. We gave them, I think it was a little like 100 grand down. They sell our finance 750 at 2% interest only for five years, which is super cheap money. Great. So when we're borrowing money, we're typically paying six to 8% to an investor and they're getting equity in the self storage deal. So that's a higher you know, uh, interest payment. So it's all about really to make these deals work your capital stack. Capital stack being, am I using a commercial bank and then like private money? or my own money and the cost of the funds. And you kind of like, you know, the average of the money is 6%. Typically you need a deal that's gonna generate more than 6%. 
So if you can make 8% and you capital stack when your debt service is 6%, then you're making 2% essentially for yourself or gotcha. the equity owners. And so when we're making offers on these self-storage deals, you know, if they're wanting a five or six cap rate, which is the, the money, the interest it produces on the cash on cash return, essentially, if you bought it all cash. Um, so what we're trying to do is limit, lower the capital stack by having the seller, you know, typically if they're going to lend us uh, some money on seller financing, it's literally going to be like 0% interest, 2%, 3%, super, something very low to lower our overall capital stack. And so we offer it pretty much on every deal. If there's a possibility, even getting 10, 20% down, uh, 20% uh, seller financing changes the deal completely where it makes it possible. Yes. So a lot of times it is wanting a little bit higher number. They want a higher number. So we're able to pay a higher number when they do seller financing. So for instance, that first deal where they financed so much, it was essentially a five cap. Where in that market at that time, two years ago, probably would have been like a eight cap deal. And so we bought that property at a five cap, but there was so much added value in that property in six months, it was a 12 cap. Wow. So we were able to, you know, if we brought that to a bank, it might not have got funded and it might not have been able to, to cover the debt service and get the funding needed. So by doing the structuring the seller financing deal, which we gave them multiple options, then, you know, you never know why a seller will do something. So you always want to make that offer. You always want to you can't make this, you can't assume what they will do. Right. So they actually, to my eyes, picked the best deal that was best deal for us. But for some reason, it's the best deal for them. Like you and never all know matters. what yes. happens. So uh, always make the offer, always put it out there and then see, you know, see if what works and try, try to create win-win situations. So what's so exciting about this is I love when I'm like best friends, good friends with people, business relationships with people who just know more than I know. Like I hear he's like six cap and your stack rate. And I'm like, oh God, like, but I know dialer platforms and I know lead generation. And so like here out of us three, I think what's so synergistic about our relationship with you and some of my other affiliates, it's like, I have my lane and I execute flawlessly. You have your lane and you execute, you have your lane and you execute. But when you all have a common bond, which is work ethic, you put those three lane, now it's a super highway. It's not just three independent channels, but now we can do more volume than you ever could do independently. And so I love it. And that's why I tell people being out there and joining these mentoring groups, the ones that, you know, certain coaching classes, et cetera, but you get to meet like-minded individuals. And some of those like-minded individuals could take you on a trajectory into a different stratosphere. I don't know if you started out thinking you would do commercial, but obviously that's where you're heading is more and more commercial. I always knew I was gonna go to commercial. That's what I wanted to do. I I know, so one of the things you say is like, partnerships equal rocket ships. Yes. I never used to feel that way at all. Like I used to be like, partnerships, like if I have a partner, then I have to like make three times as much yes, money yes, to make, yes. to split it up. But like, it is finding the people who are synergistic and have like their own lane. Like that's why we're strategically partnered on different things because we have different, you know, valuable uh, contributions that we can give. And it's like finding the right partnerships. I see other people in partnerships and they're like, they either do the same thing or like they're good at the same thing. And it's like, that doesn't work. Like you got to find somebody who is, who makes you better, who grow, who makes you grow. And then so like, that's a, a crucial thing to, to grow in business. So the other business I do have like Airbnbs and mobile home parks, like I have strategic partners with those guys who like, that's their main focus and they help us grow the mobile home park business or apartments or whatever it may be.
So one of the things with the Leads to Deals podcast, and this is what we always say, we talk about everything from leads to deals and everything we talk about leads to deals, but it's a sales side podcast. This is what it is. No matter what industry, we talk about sales. And so we love the real estate industry as well. And we've talked about kind of the outcomes. Well, let's talk some sales for a little bit. Like, you know, like real strategies, real, real stuff that has made an impact in your life on the floor. So uh, I, I know I have one that I was going to share here in a second. But what about you guys? Like, what's the most like crazy conversion story that you've gotten a sale that you've gotten so far in this industry where you're like, bro, I can't believe we were able to get this for this or this. How, how does it work out? So any particular deals that stick out to you make you say like, damn, I'm a closer. Yeah, man. I mean, we have a big thing about everything is Hollywood. Like, you know, we watch all the movies, Boiler Room, Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, that's a big part of it, you know, because everything's over the phone. So we're not going knocking on doors like we used to. Uh, so I think you do have to present yourself in certain ways. Crazy story, man. There's a lot. Um, there was one deal we had in Atlanta and it wasn't even like a first close. We already had it under contract and uh, we thought we acquisitioned it too high. And so we, I think we had it for like around 150 we thought we could sell it for like 200,000. So we marketed it, marketed, marketed, couldn't get it. My dispo guy's like, I'm not getting any traction on this property. We have to get it reduced. I was like, I think I have a buyer at what we're in at. So I had to call the seller and I had an agent tell me like, good luck. Like you're not gonna get it. And I gave him the opportunity. He's like, that man told me he's never gonna sell or never get a reduction, excuse me. And he's like, you're not gonna get it. He's like, don't waste your time. I was like, well, I'm gonna shoot the shot. So I remember giving this gentleman a call and Obviously, I portray myself as like, you know, I'm the director of sales. So I get on the call, and I believe his name is Anthony Sammons. And he's like, uh, I go, hey, Anthony, this is uh, Anthony, I'm one of the directors of Quick Cash Offer. And I go, at this stage of my career, I typically don't make phone calls like this. But I wanted to be the one to tell you kind of what's going on in your situation. And I kind of explained some benefits of, hey, you know, some repair costs came higher. And a lot of it was just Hollywood. Like I used what the buyers told me, like, hey, this is the messed up, the foundation's jacked up. But I wanted to present myself as like, listen, I'm trying to get the deal done today, but at the end of this phone call, we'll just rip this up as friends. Yeah. So I go in for the pitch. I tell the guy, he goes, well, Anthony, it sounds like you, you're going to hit me with a number. And I go, well, you're not going to like it. But the good news is we'll still close in 10 days. I hit the man with a 70K drop. Wow. He took it. Ooh. No questions asked. Did you feel like you should have gone for 80? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. The worst part about it was should have gone lower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the beautiful part about that deal is uh, as soon as we got that addendum signed, a buyer called us that same day for a full price at 200000 Oh, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Cool, man. I love, and like you said, there's thousands of these. We do it daily. We do it hourly. I just saw you T.O. in a table for a young man in my office a minute ago. What about you, Alex? Um, yeah, I think... Any stories that I like is like assuming you don't never assume what, what they're going to say or what yes. they're going to take. So I know one deal that comes to mind is uh, Miss Terry Walker got it. It was a deal in Kentucky, middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. And we offered this guy. I, I even was like just trying to do a subject too. Like we have to be at 70. He owes 100. And I was like just fucking trying to do a subject too. They offered the 70. He took it. And he paid 30K at closing to get out of his mortgage. So let's just recap that again. So the customer, your offer was 70. He needed a hundred total just to be able to walk free and clear roughly. Well, his balance was a hundred. 
Oh, his balance was 100. Gotcha. Balance was 100. So you were you were offering 70 of the 100, and he he needed to move out of this house. It wasn't worth what he went. So he needed to come up with thirty thousand dollars and bring it to the closing table for you guys to be able to buy their house. Yes, he paid to get out of his mortgage. 30k. Wrote the title company a 30 grand check. Awesome. We put 15k into it. Sold it for like 165 or something. We made like 70k on it. Great. 180. Wow. That's huge. But you know how many people in this industry would have prejudged that lead or never called them and just never even picked up the phone and took that steps? But you gotta shoot all your shots. This is sales, it's a contact sport. Uh, mine is actually pre-real estate, but so I used to sell timeshare when I was, that was my very first sales job, 20 years old, boom, selling timeshare for X amount of years. And I remember a guy came in, this was Williamsburg, Virginia, and there on the sales floor, you got to see the couples as they came in. And so like the older sales guys, like it would be almost like a line and be like, you're next, boom, you're next, boom. So he saw what the couple looked like and he jumped out of line. So that way I had to take his next one. And everyone was like, hey, that's not fair. And then the, the, the director, Billy Franklin came up to me. He was like, hey, listen, it is what it is. I need you to take it. I have confidence that you will rock this deal, blah, blah. He hyped me up and he expected nothing, I assumed, but I bought into it because that's my leader. The reason why no one wanted to take him is it was a guy wearing coveralls, jean coveralls with no undershirt, not even a wife beater, just legit guy from the country, coveralls, jeans, work boots, and his wife. And so back then, I think the baby package was 16,900 for timeshare sales. And Billy had never talked to me before. So when the president or director of sales comes to talk to you, it's like, okay, take this seriously. I pitched my face off. And then at the end, when they came down to it, he, this man said yes. They're like, so how would you like to pay? Would you sign up for financing? He lifts the front billfold <laughs> of his coveralls and pulls out like 5K in cash for the down payment right then and there. And that moment, I said, I'll never prejudge a lead again. Because the guy who turned up that lead was better than me. He had more money than me. He was smarter than me in sales. He had all these things. But that taught me to like never, never prejudge a lead. And those are some of the things that I think that we have to embed and teach the industry as well too. It's like, the thing that bothers me the most about closers is they don't pay for the marketing. And so, you spend, let's say you have a $80 CPL or cost per lead, or you're getting PPC and you're $150. It's free to your closer. It's, it's tens of thousands of dollars a month for you guys. And so if they spent that amount of money, they would never prejudge the lead. They would treat all of them the same. They would go through the same cycle. So it's just a matter of trying to get that in their heads. Like you have to love the lead as much as I love it, or you'll be a worker bee for the rest of your life. All right, cool. Let's talk about some sales tips, guys. Um, what are some sales tips that you would give? Doesn't have to be industry specific, but at some point, it's going to be some 19 year old kid who hates college. It's like this, this is terrible. I'm going in debt. I know I'm not going to get anything for it. And he heard about this cool sales job. His buddy's got something he's reading. Like, what are some like basic 101 for you guys? Like fundamental sales tips that you would share with somebody new starting out. Uh, sales said, I mean, you got to know your pitch inside and out. Mm. Uh, for me, like, especially when we have a new class, like when we hire people, I like to hire people as a group uh, because I want to do training at the same time, have everybody at the same pace instead of jumping all over the place. Uh, but I see a lot of people who feel like they're killers and they'll take the script, they'll glance at it, and then they're immediately trying to make it their own. So for me, it's like if you're going to adapt to something, you need to know that backwards and forwards before you even make it your own. 
So I'm gonna get a couple of these tips from you, but I wanna focus on that. So I've seen great debate in, in your real estate industry, your guys' industry about, is a script necessary? And it infuriates me. And I'm glad to hear you say it. So you're saying like, hey, listen, you have to have a script and then you have to stick to that script, make it work first and then make it your own? Correct, yeah, so I, I teach what's called like the A to Z process, which is essentially five steps to a successful close. And uh, that's all built in our script. But my guys need to know the fundamentals of each part, exactly what it means verbatim. Like I can't have them go off script because then what's gonna happen is they're gonna fumble and then they're trying to recover now on the pitch. So for me, it's like, if you can know it backwards and forwards, then you can make it you. Then you can add your flair. Then you can create your own kind of urgency. Because for me, it's like, you can go through the script and you can go off bases, but the most important thing is bring it right back, back to where you're at. So most people, they get jumbled, well, they'll try to build some kind of rapport and then it's like, oh, hey, Mr. Seller. And then they're asking if it's a three, two, 1200 square foot, but built no value on why the guy wants to sell their house. Yeah. So a lot of people become more like order takers and not closers. That's a really good way of putting it. All right, what other tips? Tie downs. Uh, you know, a lot of the, some of the hardest part about the industry is getting people on the phone. Uh, so you never really want to say, hey, I'll call you back or do anything like that. So tie downs are super important. Like I want to say like the words today in my sales pitch, like, hey, Mr. Seller, yeah, this is something we can get. Uh, for you, if the price is right, can we get this done today? Right. You know, are there any uh, hurdles? You know, if your wife agrees, can we get this done today? Like, I want to see what kind of motivation these people have and implant words like today to get people to agree, like, and shake their head on the phone. Because essentially, I want them to make a promise so that way, then my pitch is like, hey, Scott, you know, you told me that if I got you the 100K, that you'd be ready to move forward today. Yeah, I love that too. So tie downs are, it's, it's like a, a sales tactic, right? It's a great tip. And tie downs are, planning in that seat today, getting that commitment, and a good way to get them to nod their head is to ask a reflexive question at the end of it. So you're gonna say, hey listen, so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna try to get you qualified for an offer today. At the very end of it, after we've done the research, we feel like we've earned the right to ask for your business today. Does that sound right? And that tie down that, that you hit them with today and then does that sound right? It, of course, I've given you, and particularly, does that sound right? That sounds right, right? You know, there's so many different ways to be able to deliver it. So yeah, I love that on tie downs. And also I love too, I know you guys have a mentality of there's no be back bus. Like there's no, you're not gonna pitch this person and then magically come back on their own. Like unfortunately, sometimes it happens to people and they lose their whole sales career because they're like, oh, that's how this happens, right? I don't have to close today. No, you have to, it's why now, why today? That's what sales is. Every single sales, why now, why today? And so I love that you guys push them through the limit, the whole process. You keep them on the phone throughout the whole process. You're not letting them go and we'll call you back and let me go talk to underwriting and do these things. You guys are keeping them in the process from A to Z. So I love that. Any other tips you wanna share? Uh, so the way we kind of structure our pitches is kind of like a, uh, like if you go to a Toyota dealership, like my agents need to be the guy that shows up at the front door asking what you're looking for. Mm. Uh, so, and I make sure that my agents are always on the side of the client. And just like when you're buying your first car, they say, hey, you know, do you want the red one? Do you want the leather seats? They tour around, you, you know, you do the test drive. But once you get to the table and you're like, I want this car, that's a whole different game. You know, you're going to start talking about prices. You're going to start negotiating. But we all know that it's not the agent you're trying to meet. It's the finance guy in the back. It's the underwriters. You know, it's the guys who are going to give you what your, your credit score is going to give you this. And this is your payment. And then it starts negotiating. So just like that, in our sales pitch, you know, we tell our clients that, you know, hey, we got to go talk to our underwriters in the back. They're the ones going to present our offers. Because in the beginning of the pitch, we're setting up the presentation like, hey, one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to get you approved and get you a cash offer today, or it's going to be denied. And the least we can do is give you a reason why. 
So I want to set the proper expectations because I want my guys to be test driving my client around. Yes. So that way when they go to the underwriters, they're not the ones getting blamed. It's like, hey, we're going to put the boxing gloves on. We're going to beat the underwriters back. So that way we can negotiate together. So essentially what you're doing, it sounds like to me, is the call starts off like customer versus sales agent or customer, not against, that's probably, but it's a transactional relationship. But at the end, once you actually do submit it, and I think you do most of your underwriting, sounds like to me your sales agents now pivot to their side where it's you two as a team who have a tremendous rapport and they planted all the seeds now versus the back office. Oh, I love that. I love that. Cool. Tips. Um, the one sales tip I like the most is just the takeaway. Oh yeah. Takeaway. That's like my, my thing. I use the most We're doing timeshare. It's always like, Hey, this is not for you. It's, it's okay. So I, the takeaways, the best, uh, works well with girls as well. Uh, <laughs> I always, so what is this? What, what is the takeaway? Takeaway is like, Hey, you like, I have, you know, tell a girl you invite her to a concert, Kanye West. Hey, I got Kanye West tickets. Like, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, it's okay, no problem. I got my other buddy who's gonna go. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I wanna, uh, I wanna go. So it's the same thing like that. It's like, hey, we have this offer uh, to you. Oh, I need my wife to decide. Hey, I completely understand, but you know, we only have limited funds available uh, to spend this quarter, and it's the last day of the quarter right now. It's June 30th, so you know. Um, I have other people who are ready to move forward. So if you're not ready to move forward today, I completely understand, but we just got to allocate this funds. So we're going to put it over here. And it's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Like it's the offer's going to go away. So it's, here's an offer. Oh, I'm going to take it away. Oh, wait, hold on. I do want that price. Hey, I will take that number. So uh, that's like, I think my favorite uh, sales technique is the takeaway. It's more, it's very powerful. I was like, yeah, no big deal, bro. I'm talking to somebody else right down the street. We're already looking at two other properties there. Oh, somebody just rang the bell, you know, and you all of a sudden you take that away from them. People, the desire for gain is always stronger than, I mean, excuse me, the fear of loss. I said that completely wrong, but the fear of loss is always stronger than the desire for gain. And people want what they can't have. Same thing with that Kanye West tickets. He's like, oh, well, I want to go. I don't want it to go to somebody else. Um, I love that. And I think it's built into your guys' pitch the way you have it set up as well, too. 100%. Real quick on that, like I know with like the timeshare, when we worked timeshare, like that worked perfectly because it's all, it's, with sales, it's all a numbers game too. So when we have like, obviously we have tons of leads, so it helps a little bit more to be like, hey, you know, we're not trying to kill everybody to say, hey, you have to take this number. But with the, when we did timeshare sales, like it would always be like, I didn't have commission breath. Yes. I had another income stream also, so like I wasn't needing the commission as much as other people. So not having that commission breath where like you, hey, they know, they can feel you need that deal. With me, I was like, hey, if you don't want this travel club, it's no problem. Like you're one no that's gonna get me closer to the next yes. So like, that's fine, it's just a numbers game. And so when you like, I literally would tell customers that like, hey, it's no problem. You just help me get to my next yes. Oh. I, I get no's all day. And in this industry, in the sales, you're gonna get none, more no's than yeses all the time. So I always say this about sales in general, because I don't think there's any sales where this isn't true, but sales is the only profession that I'm aware of or intimately aware of where you will fail so much more than you will ever be successful. If my accounting guy failed as many times as a closer fails to be successful, he's like, I, uh, I did 20 reports and only one of them is correct. Like, bro, you failed 19 times to get one correct. 
But no, it's like your closer's like, dude, I just busted my, I just had 20 consultations. That 20th one was the one, boom, one out of 20. And the next guy's one out of 14. The next guy's one out of eight or whatever it may be. But the whole point to that is, is that you have to go through all those no's to get to a yes. And I think that's one of my tips I would give to anybody. I call it like the rain jacket mentality. Just like you have those parkas, right? You have those parkas that you put on to let the rain go off of you you're gonna get thrown up in this industry, thrown up on, right? People are just gonna vomit. The seller's gonna vomit about why they need so much or the prospect at the car lot's gonna say, no, we were just walking around, we're just doing this. If you don't have that proverbial rain jacket, that resistance, that persistence to resistance, and you don't let it just hit you and fall off, you're gonna succumb to all that negativity because we're in a highly negative profession. Like, people think we're the worst of the worst when we call. Just because like, hey, listen, you're the only guy who's actually trying to not, you're trying to buy something for me instead of sell me something. So they always get hit all day long by people trying to sell them something. All of a sudden now it's different to buying, but they're still, well, I don't know you and et cetera, et cetera. So having that rain jacket mentality where no matter what they say, it's just gonna roll off of me and I'm gonna be able to go back into my script is a really big one. And then I think that kind of maybe is the second to the first one, which is just take action. There's so many people in this industry who have analysis paralysis. There's so many people in every industry, heck, every everything, right? And so it's like 95% of people are okay with the mediocrity that life will provide them. There's that special 5%. And that other 95 still wants that other 5% life. But are they willing to put up with all the failures, all the rejection? How many times are you going to get told no? How many times are you going to have a late night? How many times are you going to be working? How many times is your spouse going to kind of, you know, be against what you're doing or your girlfriend or your family or whatever? So to just pick up the phone and get used to being told no is the most important thing. So for me at the call center, if somebody's like, hey, I've never hired or I'm just starting out, I want to hire you. I won't allow them to test fire on my leads. Infrastructure's too big. The, you know, This is an advanced technique that we provide for people, but it's like, no, you got to go in there into the trenches first, man. I need you to have some battle wounds. I need you to have some battle scars. I need you to come out and be ready for this next level because I can't walk onto an NFL uh, team. I can't walk out onto a college team. Can't might be able to mess around with some high school, but you know what I mean? Like that's my thing. But on sales, okay, cool. Put me in the elite of the elite, but how can you go into the elite until you're there? So I love it. Any other general sales tips before we wind things down guys? No, I mean, going back on the outs, disqualifying is one of the most important things. Like I think everybody in the wholesale industry is trying to always approve the client and you got to disqualify them. You know, we got to pretend like, hey, you're not the only one. Like you said, that we need to make sure that our client at the end of that phone call feels like they want. Like, you know, the client calls you and says, I'll take 100K and you're like, what the hell did she say? I can sell that at 125. If you immediately jump to the 100K and you don't disqualify them, you're going to scare them away because they're like, that's too easy. So no matter what in the pitch, like I need to be disqualifying to get to that final approval because I need them to feel like once I say congratulations, that they feel like they actually want. That's great. That's, uh, you, you remind me too, one of the best feelings I feel in sales is when the customer says thank you after they sign the contract. Like there's no better feeling because it means that we did a good job, right? We created value, we're helping out the consumer, the company's able to help another consumer. And I think so much of America or whoever kind of have this mentality, oh, well, you're making money. Well, we have to make money. That's how we help more people. And what's nothing sweeter than making money and being appreciate it by the seller for us helping them and making money at the same time. So 
We're in a beautiful industry. I'm excited that you guys have introduced me to this segment of the industry. It's excited to continue to partner with you guys in your commercial efforts and your single family efforts. Uh, tell the folks out there, how will we follow you guys? Yeah, you can reach me at uh, QTheCloser.com or you can reach me on my Instagram, QTheCloser as well. Uh, anything you need, A to Z process, comp training, uh, I'm here for you. Gotcha guys, course, you helped a lot of people scale their sales business. Uh, for me, it's at alex.theinvestor.casada. This is my IG. And then for if you're interested on getting on our buyers list or interested in, that's how you actively invest, or if you're interested in passively investing in potential uh, deals in the future, opportunities we have, uh, go to vaultventures.net. Like a bank vault, vaultventures.net. Cool. I love it. So guys, one of the other things that we're super excited about, knowing that you guys are the best of the best in the industry, when we had this idea for leads to deals, I said, hey man, I think that you guys would be perfect to kind of head up like a coaching type service for sales in general, and particularly for you guys initially in the real estate world. So we do have the leads to deal coaching and mentoring course that's about to deploy here within the next 30 days or so. They've created the most amazing content. They've broken down their success of how they've done in one month, 78 days deals just this month, commercial properties, how they're doing it all, how to take your team and, and grow it effectively, how to scale effectively, how to keep track of your KPIs, leverage the technology and infrastructure. Because if I wanted to build a mansion like these guys have built, I would like to see their blueprint. I don't want to try to create it by myself. So the blueprint's going to be available for you guys. It'll be the leads to deals, mentoring and coaching course. I'm super excited to be able to contribute where I can for what we've learned here at Lamasu. So very excited guys. I thank you again for your time and I look forward to having you back on in a couple months to discuss your continued growth. Leads to deals.